Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today with me, I've got producer Jonathan Sothcock. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And the reason we are talking, or the particular reason at this point, is the release of the new Danny Dyer film, Vendetta. Yeah, um, which is in cinemas on Friday the 22nd. So, um, do you want to tell people, before we get into just just looking at talking to yourself generally, do you want to give us a quick intro as to... Um, what Vendetta is, what it's about. Yeah, I mean, Vendetta is, is very simply put, a modern British death wish, if you like. Um, the, the writer, director, Stephen Reynolds, and I both grew up in the 80s and are big fans of those 80s action franchises um, and movies such as Death Wish, such as uh, Nighthawks, such as, uh, you know, all those kind of gritty urban um, action movies. And we wanted to make a British version of that. Um, and, you know, when British vigilante movies come round, they tend to be very um, dour and gritty. And, and we wanted to make something a little bit slicker and, and glossier, which, uh, which hopefully we've done. So, yeah, a modern British action movie. But, but just thinking about yourself as a film fan, what, what, what was it that, that sort of... What, what, bit, what, was the, what bit you in terms of the, the film book that, that sort of made you think, yeah, I want to make films, mate? Well, I, I, you know, like like every filmmaker, I always love movies. And um, when I was a kid, my parents had a, a rather battered Betamax recorder um, and one video, which was Jaws. So between the ages of about three and 15, I watched Jaws pretty much every day, um, which is probably explains a lot. Um, and, I, and I love movies. And, you know, I was a kid growing up in the middle of nowhere um, in, in Sussex, out in the country, had no idea that how to get into the film business, but from being an early kind of early teens, I always knew that was what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but you know, there was no internet then, or no real internet then, um, so there wasn't. You know, there were these these rather intimidating looking books in W. H. Smith's um, telling you uh, how to make a, an American independent movie, but not very much about how to get into the, the British film industry. So I kind of came in through the back door. Really, um, I was I was not particularly uh, academic at school. But I could write a little bit, and uh, and I started sending off spec articles to film magazines, um, and some of them got picked up by magazines such as the Dark Side, the horror magazine. Um, and uh, do you remember what your first one was that got picked up? Out of interest. Sorry, say that again. Do you remember what the first one was that you got picked up? 
Oh, I don't. Um, I'm sure it would have been about Hammer film, though, because I used to love Hammer horror movies. And, okay. And write about them. And, and writing for The Dark Side, I got to meet and interview a lot of actors, actresses, producers, directors from, you know, the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, and, and started to have a vague understanding of how, how the business works. Um, and I'd always been very interested, not just in the films, but in how films were promoted and sold. Um, you know, I, I love cheesy old um, ads for movies, you know, B-movies. Um, and that, that kind of sparked an interest in me, that the, the, the whole process of making a film wasn't just about coming up with an idea and filming it. It was also about how you release it. Um, and uh, I, my girlfriend's frustration at my huge movie poster collection will probably um, <laughs> suggest that that's gone a bit too far. But... I, uh, I started writing the, the, the articles and meeting people, and then um, around 2000, or 1999 maybe, um, the DVD boom hit, and all the Americans were coming over here recording special features um, material for, for DVD releases of old British movies, and a company called Anchor Bay, who funnily enough have begun to figure prominently in my life again now, bought up all the old Hammer movies and all this kind of stuff. And they were they were looking for Brit journalists to interview people for the DVDs. And, and there I was, and I met them, and they very kindly chucked a couple of, uh, of gigs my way. I was working for a guy called Bill Lustig, who directed Maniac and Maniac Cop. And he of was, course, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was obviously a legend. Indeed. Um, and and I, was, yeah, I was meeting these people like Brian Forbes and, you know, Roger Moore and Brian Clements and interviewing them all, and it was fantastic. Um and one of the guys I met during this period is a guy called David Wicks, who um, directed and produced those shows, The Sweeney and The Professionals. Wowza. And he also directed The Sweeney Movie. And he said to me, um, he's a very inspirational figure, and he said to me, you know, you should, you know, forget all this, this journalism. You should be a film producer. It's, it's, you know, it's obvious to me that's what you should do. And it never occurred to me before. Um, and he very kindly took me under his wing, and uh, for a couple of years I worked for him, um, essentially as T-boy to begin with. Um, and you know he was developing stuff, and, and I got to meet people, and I kind of understood it. And after that, I, I sort of went off on my own and, and tried to start, and I sort of floated around the film business for a while because there's an awful lot of people on the periphery all the time. You know, it takes a while to, to get in. Um, and started getting a few credits. Um, yeah. And then I produced this this tiny little low-budget movie called Stalker, which was a psychological horror film, all set in a house, cast of kind of half a dozen. Um, and it kind of it got good reviews, didn't do much business, didn't do any business really. Um, but it got the ball rolling, and, and eventually I've got to the point now where I'm, you know, however many films in, um, I finally made a good one with Vendetta. So. <laughs> What would I mean? I noticed there was a number of sort of documentaries at the short documentaries at the start of your uh, sort of the start of the time a lot a lot of the start of the timeline, and all and seemingly done all in quick succession. What 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 lessons were learned making those in terms of helping you make features? That, well, they they were the documentaries for um, for DVD releases of old movies, so oh, okay. uh, kind of making of uh, documentaries for movies like Blood on Satan's Claw and that kind of thing. These yeah. kind of B movies from the seventies. Um, I don't know that there was. I mean, you know, those things are pretty straightforward and simple. It's someone sat on a sofa with a camera pointed at them. There's not much I learned from that. They weren't particularly ambitious projects. Um, I did one 
uh, produced a documentary about the, the producer of films such as The Wild Geese and Who Dares Wins, Ewan Lloyd, who was another very inspirational figure. Um, and I, I learned a lot from Ewan, but I didn't learn much from actually making the documentary of that. Makes sense. Have you, are you, is that the special edition DVD of Wild Geese? Is that the one? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been out about nine hundred times. We we did it originally in two thousand and three, I think. Um, yeah, I've just I've just I've just got it. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah so it's the, and it came in the post this week. Funny enough. Yeah, okay. Oh, I love that movie. Um, it's one of my favourite movies. And the last of the gentlemen producers, the Ewan Lloyd documentary, is an early Southcott outing. So uh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I did the commentary with um, with you and, and Roger Moore and John Glenn, the Bond director, as well. Which well, that's was... what that's what made me decide to buy it instead of just getting the ordinary DVD release. Was it had the commentary one on it? So I imagine as a as a Bond fan, what a dream come true <laughs> that was. I mean, it was really difficult because I was just a journalist trying to moderate it, but I was just in awe looking at these three guys. You know, yeah, it was fantastic. You were the cat that got the cream at that point. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I loved it, but you know, for me, that wasn't. I suppose what I what I wanted to do forever, um, you know, and and I reached a point um, where I didn't want to keep writing about other people's films. I wanted to to make my own. Also, it's very difficult being a film critic, you know, or, or a film journalist because you, you you know everyone has an opinion and and everyone has the right to voice their opinion, but it's um, it's it's quite a negative thing sometimes just sitting there slagging off other filmmakers. Really, particularly if you have aspirations to become one yourself, that can be. A kind of a negative trap to fall into. So I was quite pleased to leave that behind. Really. No, no, no. I, I, I totally understand. Um, I, I uh, definitely, I definitely look for the positives in 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 the way that I review, and certainly as, as a film, cause for that reason, I don't. There is. It's too easy to uh, to just be be out and out negative. It is. It is. I, I mean, if, if if you go if you go back and look at even uh, even the review I did of. Um, Status Quo's movie, which nobody would ever claim to be <laughs> cinema's cinema's greatest moment, I still managed to find the positives in that one. Yeah, well, I t- you know what? One of my really good friends is Craig Fairbrass, who played their manager in that, and um, I-, I looked at him in horror when he told me he was doing it, and he told me how much he was getting paid, and it was filming in Fiji, and I just thought, you know what, I'd do that too. So, well, to be honest with you, what's interesting when you watch it is that clearly it's like when you see an actor with non-actors, obviously status. I mean, Status Quo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. Craig, Craig's ability stands out a mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really. Uh, I, I do. I do. Um, I do a podcast, a Liverpool podcast. Funny enough, with um, with his cousin Andrew Fairbrass. Okay, <laughs> okay. Small world that that is. Yeah. Um, well, look at look at. I mean, like I say, you've 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 been you, as a producer, you've been you've been remarkably prolific for um, with with what I could see eighteen feature films to, to your name. Is that right? Yeah, there's probably a load more I've taken my name off. But okay. Let's, well, let's right. stick at 18. That'll do, won't it? <laughs> I mean, that's the, you know, that, 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 those kind of numbers are the kind of things that, you know, used to be the kind of annual output of UK for theatrical release. So I think it's, um, you know, and that would have been a good year. Um, but, but at the heart of it is, I mean, given the conversation you've had so far, it's not surprising really, but genre is at the heart of the output you're working in, particularly of the horror, thriller and gangster genres. Yeah. What what yeah. is it about genre that appeals to you as a producer? Well, I mean, yeah, they're the movies I like, um, and I, you know, I've made so many horror movies, and it's so hard to make horror movies. Um, I mean, I'm having a rest from them at the minute, or maybe they're having a rest from me. But yeah, you know, they're, they're, that is the hard for me. It's the hardest genre to crawl. Well, comedy's the hardest. Horror is the second hardest. Um, okay. Because the problem with horror is there's so much out there. 
you know, every week there's another dozen DVDs in the supermarkets. And the, the, the problem with horror is that because it's not a genre that relies on stars, ultimately people buy it based on the cover and the trailer. And there's an awful lot of uh, mis-selling that goes on in horror and, and, and in other genres. Um, and, you know, it can be very difficult to tell the difference between a glossy studio picture and something that's been filmed on an iPhone. Um, you know, because you stick them both in a shiny lenticular cover and it's, uh, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, that's, that's a legacy of the video revolution, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, to totally. To I mean, all the old tricks still go on. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and, you know, and I have to hold my hands up. I made, I made some horror movies. They were, they were pretty terrible. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't from a lack of good intention. It was just that somewhere along the line they didn't work. I think also, at the minute, um, British horror really isn't in good shape. It's, it's not travelling. Um, it's not doing the business here. It's getting the plaudits, of course, but, but that's not really relevant to the business. Um, and as a genre, you know, as a whole, it really isn't performing. So I, I kind of decided to take a step back from that. And sometimes, you, you know, you can have too much enthusiasm for, for something and, uh, and that can get in the way of actually making it decent. Um, so I, I decided to refocus on kind of action thriller... Um, you know, crime type stuff, which is another genre that I enjoy and which is a little bit more solid at the minute. So, uh, so that's where I am right now. I must admit, I was I went on a, I was on a trip to Berlin, not just just for pleasure, really. I went to go and see a band called Rocky from the Crypt, and um, and I was in the kind of equivalent of HMV in in Berlin, and the whole there was like a whole section dedicated to what you know what what we would call your kind of British British gangster British thriller. Like yeah, they love it. The Germans absolutely love that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I, I mean, they, they, it's, it's quite funny because they do their own kind of mis-selling over there and, and everything I see has got hooligan on the cover. They love football hooligan movies in Germany. Yes, British Bulldogs seem to be the common name that I could see. Yeah, totally. So, and there's, there's what, my friend made a film called Pimp um, about, it's a kind of uh, mockumentary set in Soho um, and it's, it's been released over there as London Bad Boys. <laughs> you know, they, they, they love all that and this is these, these pictures of like Dyer's head cropped off one picture and stuck on someone else's body with a machine gun and uh, you know those crazy Germans they, they love it I'm not sure it'll ever beat the have you seen the um, the, 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 the Thai I think it's the Thailand version of Drive the poster artwork they've, they've bootlegged up no I haven't it looks like a Chuck Norris movie <laughs> you've got you've got, a, you've got Ryan Gosling's face from some other bloody movie it certainly isn't Drive and, and missiles and exploding cars in the background. Insane. Insane. It's genius. Um, fast forward then to um, to Vendetta. Um, where, where, what was the genesis of that project? Um, well, I, I, towards the end of last year, I kind of, to be honest, become a little disenchanted with the business. Um, you know, I was making all these crappy movies and I just thought, this, this isn't really what I want to do. And, um, and I moved out of London, been in London for 15 years. And... Um, and uh, I just, just kind of had enough, really, um, because nothing that I'd made before Vendetta was remarkable in any way. And, um, and Danny Dyer had been a very, very close friend. Um, we'd made a half dozen pictures together and various other things. And, um, and he was in a bad place as well. And we were talking on the phone one day, and he'd just done this bloody film of Run for Your Wife. Um, and he was, he was really at a low ebb, and I was at a low ebb. And, and he just said, you know, we should just have one last go and then go and work in Tesco's, really. Um, and, and I... I said, okay, well, I'll think about that. And I had this script I was kind of half-heartedly developing. Um, 
uh, it wasn't called Vendetta then. I can't remember what it was called, um, but it was just a, a you know pretty standard vigilante movie. He wasn't an SAS soldier. There wasn't that kind of bigger picture element to it. Um, but I like the writer. The writer Stephen Reynolds, very very talented lad, um, had written a film about the Range Rover murders for me, and um, was looking to direct. So I, I called Steve and I said, Look, this vigilante thing, why don't we do it with Dyer? Um, and he said, great, I'm, I'm a massive fan, that would be fantastic. Um, you know, will he, uh, will he behave? And th there's this kind of myth about Danny that he's this kind of Oliver Reed-style wild man, which just couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and, and I said, yeah, of course, it would be fantastic. So he went away and he tweaked the script and we worked it up a bit, um, showed it to Dyer. He fell off his chair and loved it. Um, and, and I thought, this is great. This is, this is going to be a slam dunk movie. Um, because two years ago, any distributor in London would greenlight a movie based on Dyer being in it. Um, you know, he was the golden boy of, of independent British films. And to put that in perspective for you, one in three people in this country own a Danny Dyer film on DVD. Um, there's, I doubt there's another actor that can boast that. Um, I've, certainly, I've certainly got five, I think. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and... and um, you know that, but unfortunately, that had changed. He'd made some bad decisions. There'd been an awful lot of distributors putting out kind of drama movies or comedy movies he'd made with him on the front with a gun, um, and the audience was was disenchanted. Not with Danny, but they they had um, you know they'd become cautious. They, they, it's very easy to underestimate the British gangster film audience. They're a lot smarter than people give them credit for, and they do actually do their research and they don't just buy something because it's got black, white, and red cover. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so so we we put the film together, and and I couldn't sell it to be honest. I was I was really struggling, and I always pre-sell my films in the UK, and everyone was like, "No, Dyer, he's washed up. It's over. It's not going to happen." You know, um, why don't you get another actor in? And I just thought, well, fuck that. No, you know, it's, it's he's a bloody good actor, and and in the right film, um, then it should it should work. So we made it, um, and it was a struggle as well, to be absolutely honest. It was a struggle to attract quality cast initially. Um, it all changed when Vincent Regan came on board. When he came on board, suddenly everyone looked at it and was like, oh, okay, so there's another proper actor in it. It's not just a cheap gangster movie. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, we built up a fantastic supporting cast, Ricky Harnett, Roxanne McKee. Um, you know, everyone was, was great in it. And we cut a trailer. Um, and suddenly, everything just went 360. Um, Show the trailer to distributors. We had a bidding war. Um, you know, everyone was starting to reluctantly grumble that Dyer was back. Um, and then we showed the movie, and, and they were they were kind of blown away with it. Um, you know, not because it's 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 the most unique or original film, but because for once with a British movie, it actually does what it says on the tip. You know, it says it's a violent London vigilante movie, and it is. Yeah, 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 and and Danny is superb in it. I mean, for me as a fan, it's the best thing he's ever done. And I thought the the part of Jimmy Vickers, which is his this role he plays in it, was um, was sort of sort of some parts ra you know Rambo because you've got that idea of the military man out on the you know that's loose as it were, been cut he's, he's cut loose from his normal constraints of the military, and the kind of Brian Mills from uh, Taken. Yeah. You know, yeah, got, and, and First Blood is a very big influence on the film. I mean, obviously, you know, Vincent's character, the Colonel, is is our nod to Colonel Troutman. Without um, a doubt, no, I like, I did enjoy that. And there was, I mean, even there was some, I mean, there's lots of nods to to lots of films. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give one away because it would really be about the ending. But, um, but certainly those scenes with Regan and uh, and the copper is, yeah. um, you know, there's a nod to heat there, isn't there? Really, those conversations. <laughs> Totally, and 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 like I say, you know, Steve and I love those movies, and and he he put his one his stamp on it. Um, 
You know, I think I think often, same as with horror, really, there's a reluctance with filmmakers who are making action movies to actually embrace the genre. They're, they're sort of a bit of a dirty secret. Um, and we're unashamed about it. We love it. You know, we grew up on those 80s movies, and uh, I think a lot of other people did, and they still show them on TV all the time. I was watching Death Wish 2 on television last week. And, um, you know, it, it still works. And, and the vigilante idea, yes, it's morally troubling, Um but ultimately, if someone set fire to your parents and killed them, you know, you would probably want to seek revenge. Whether whether or not people would do it is another matter. But if, if you put a, an SAS soldier who's in that situation out on the streets, it's, it's a recipe for carnage. Well, yeah, but that was I think that was also the neat part of the storytelling, really, is that the um, it wasn't just a soldier who had come back to seek revenge of his parents. He he had more he had a bigger dark cloud over him than just simply brooding over what to do and what was right to do about that you know the whole the idea that the military would chase him for his whatever it is not to won't spoil anything with it but it's like that idea that there's more going on in his life that that adds up to why he would do what he's doing yeah yeah totally totally um and that was that was quite important for for us and you know we didn't want another british film set in the alleyways of of uh of bow you know we wanted to have a bigger picture aspect um mm. Because ultimately, you know, that stuff, the, the, the MI5 and the, uh, the SAS stuff does make it feel like something a bit, a bit bigger. And that was important. And if we, uh, if we go back and make another one, then, then it will be heavier on the, the SAS and, and Whitehall stuff, I think. And I'm a big fan of that, um, you know, British establishment thriller, going back to things like the Ipcrest file. Um, and uh, I think there's even a, a little touch of that in it, really. Um, you know, those, just, just making a British film that kind of, Wants to be a bit bigger than it. There has to be. If you like. I think. I mean, I, I saw the. Did you see the film All Things to All Men with Gabriel Byrne? Was it like, last year? Was it I, haven't, this year? I haven't seen it yet. It's um, it's out on DVD soon, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, I mean, they, I mean, I think they they achieved a similar thing to what to what you achieved. Really, is that elevating it out of the just simply the back streets of of sort of grimy London, and also giving. London a bit of a sheen because you know let's be honest London's a world city so oh, totally. so why not try and make it a bit you know make it appear glamorous and cinematic because let's be honest it's got lots of things to make it cinematic <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I mean um, yeah and that, that was that was important for us and that was why it was important to to not just rely on the standard locations and you know I was quite proud of the fact that for a low-budget indie, we didn't have any stock footage in it because they all do, and they all use the same bits of bloody stock from the Sweeney and, <laughs> and those movies of the Gherkin. And we didn't, you know, we went out and shot all our own stuff. Um, and I hope it gives the, the film a little sheen of, of quality amongst the competition. Well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that whole kind of um, certainly the shots around, say, certainly you get the intro bit with the DLR and all those yeah. kind of things, and that that's where. Because that is the old East End, isn't it? For want of a better expression, and Channing Town, Channing Town, yeah. And, and it, now it looks like Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, thank you. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of what 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 what's gets shot. Um, but yeah, but I think it, it, it is it is morally. Um, well, it's it's a, it's an amoral film, isn't it? In some senses, because it's vigilante justice. And uh, I was fortunate enough to you you mentioned Death Wish. I was fortunate enough to have a have a. Uh, Twitter conversation with with Michael Winner before he passed away. I'd recently watched Death Wish and I just tweeted him just out of interest to say, my word, I'd forgotten how kind of amoral the ending was. You know the way that everybody was complicit, including the police, in letting a man kill bad guys. And um, and he was saying that Charles Bronson didn't want wanted to change the ending. He didn't want 
to be associated with the film. And then when the film came out, he took all the credit. Yeah, well, I think in the, in the book, um, uh, Paul Kersey dies at the end, doesn't he? In the novel, The Death was just based on by Brian Garfield. Um, he, he gets killed and dies in the hospital. Um, and, and I, you know, I understand that. I mean, from my understanding, I knew Michael Winner and spoke to him about it. Um, yeah. Not, not in relation. Do, do you know what was really sad? The day we were casting Vendetta was the day that Michael Winner died. Oh, really? It was a really, really weird thing. Um, and we, we had this kind of weird moment in the casting because um, obviously it was such a. Such an inspiration, but but you know, the story goes that when Winner offered it to Bronson, he says, "Hey Charlie, I've got this movie where uh, you know I want you to uh, to play this guy who shoots muggers." And Bronson says, "Oh, I'd love to do that." And Winner says, "The film." Bronson says, "No, shoot muggers." <laughs> kind of, you know, that's that's kind of the reaction. Of course, everyone has, but Bronson was on the cusp of being a, a bona fide leading man at that point, and I can imagine it would have been a massive. A massive worry because amongst the, the kind of liberal press, vigilante movies are always an easy target. Um, but you know the fact is, London is a pretty scary city at the minute, and and that was something that we wanted to show in this film as well. You know, after the riots, it's it's a changed, a changed city. Um, it's not the city that I knew it to be, um, and and life is getting cheaper. So I think it was about time for another one of these movies. Um, you know, it feels it feels sort of relevant. So that's in that sense. It's it's. It, it, I mean, I guess. I mean, Death Wish was definitely a comment on the time of how people saw being in the you know the way the, ur- the urban was decaying and everyone was leaving and what was being left behind was either those that couldn't afford to get out or the hoodlums. Um, so you, you you think? I mean, in your sense, in your mind, then Vendetta is is also a comment on on urban certainly urban London. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we didn't set out to make a film that has a message. That's not the idea with this. This is a piece of entertainment, but. But realistically, London is, is a nasty place to be. And, you know, these kids are out of control. They don't have any sense of responsibility and they don't have any sense of consequence. Um, and, uh, and and I think, ultimately, people who have experienced that, people who live through the bloody riots, you know, are going to be punching the air in joy when they see Dyer killing these kids. Because um, mm. it affected people's lives very, very seriously. Um, I mean, I must admit, that was, definitely, that was definitely the interesting thing about the end of the film, uh, certainly because I was, I was at the... The gala screening for the for the film was the um, you could you could tell from the, the cheering it wasn't just a kind of cheer for the film it what it seemed to be a cheer for what had been achieved I suppose by Danny Dyer's hero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, it's uh, that's the problem. Is 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 these vigilante movies are always a moral problem because we shouldn't want to sympathise with a vigilante, but ultimately. We all do, and if, if it was your mum or your grandma or your sister who got affected by this kind of behaviour, you, you'd want to react in the same way because that's human nature. Indeed. Not, indeed. not, not saying people should, but, you know, it doesn't stop you <laughs> No, 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 it's, it's a comment. It, to, 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 to create a work of fiction isn't to say to condone or condemn, is it? It's just a comment. Um, but um, so, so what's the... Um, What's the release? What's the release date? Oh, sorry, what's the, where's it going to be released? Um, it's it's going to be in selected cinemas um, from the twenty second um, tomorrow. Uh, they are mostly around London and Essex. Um, you know, we made a decision here um, to to do a, a small, low key, concentrated release um, in this end of of the country. Um, you know, partly because we don't want egg on our faces. You know, it's we're still rebuilding. Um, a brand here, um, and you know, trying to be cautious. Um, the the initial word has been fantastic, but you don't want to overreach yourself. Um, and then it's on DVD and Blu-ray 
from the 24th of December, um, Christmas Eve, it's in the stores. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully people will have a look at it and enjoy it. I mean, it's interesting to do the, the sort of localised release. I was speaking to a guy at um, Genesis Sales who was telling me about when they did a release of a Scottish gangster movie, it never even got a release in England. Yeah, but, man, yeah, I, you know, and it's, it's, it's a good point because it, it wouldn't have done any business here. You know, we do these as a platform to, to, to show people there's a film out there, but we can't compete. You know, people don't go and see this type of movie en masse at the cinema. They buy it on DVD. Yeah. And there's this weird shame about that, which which I'm I'm not a fan or a part of. Um, you know, as you grew up in the 80s, you grew up with a video rental store. I love renting videos. So it was just as good as going to the cinema. Um, so, so I think, you know, you, you have to kind of focus your expectations on... Uh, on the on the theatrical releases and and hope that what it does is create some decent word of mouth for the DVD and the the TV. I mean, yeah, I guess it doesn't help, does it? Really, that I'm guessing most of our cinema chains are owned by a subsidiary of one or another American studio. So it be it's not always in their interest to be showing films that are going to be competing with their own product. It's, I mean, it's not that, Stuart. It's that you know ultimately they they're not going to show stuff that people aren't going to come and see. And you go to the cinema now; it's an expensive. You know, night out. If you take your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you buy drinks and popcorn and you know maybe have a bite to eat afterwards, you're you're laying out a decent whack of money. And and in that position, increasingly, people want blockbusters. If you're paying for a big screen experience, they want a big movie. They want you know Skyfall or Avengers Assemble or, or Thor: The Dark World or whatever. They mm. don't want to see a low budget independent British movie. That's that you know Skyfall and Thor are, are a thirty forty pound price point. Vendetta is is a nine pound in Asda price point, and there's there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, I think if if we're all a bit more realistic about it and and kind of accepting of it, then then we'd we'd be a, a happier industry as a whole. Do, do you do you see the video on demand market sort of maturing into what was that that video shop that you used to enjoy going to? Yeah, totally, totally, and it's it's happening. It's slow. It's a lot slower than people thought it would be. And you know, the fact is that physical sales are still really important. Um, and anyone who says DVD is dead is wrong. I mean, you know, Skyfall sold four million units this year. Um, this is what I don't understand about the way the the meat the sort of the industry news covers DVD. It's like it's still the biggest selling format, isn't it? In terms of totally, but but you know this. You have to remember that the film business has this curious snobbery about it, and and it's all big screen, big screen, big screen. Um, and it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. Um, and I, I just try and be a bit more realistic about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, good luck with the release. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to do well. Um, and Dan, like I say, that in, in my review certainly picked out Danny Dyer as uh, being fairly, fairly cruel, twisted, and uh, unrelenting as the uh, vigilante. And I think everyone who gets to see it will see a cracking performance from him. So, um, given given you're, you're such a fan of, uh, of of the genre, could could you recommend a a British thriller to Britflix listeners that, that you think gets overlooked and deserves a bit more kudos than it does get already. Yeah, I absolutely could. And and funnily enough, I've been watching too many Danny Dyer films recently because I've co-written this book um, with a friend of mine, Films of Danny Dyer, which is out next month. Um, okay. So I've had to sit and watch all the bloody rubbish he's done as well as the good ones. And um, sifting through them, we came across this movie that, that literally came and went called Malice in Wonderland. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen that one, actually, no. It's, um, it's Danny and Maggie Grace from Taken, um, and it's a really, really weird, trippy, um, set in East England, ver modern version of, of Alice in Wonderland. I mean, obviously no one has bunny ears or anything, 
but Danny plays the, the White Rabbit, and um, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's the only one of those movies, but it was obviously it was missold as a gangster film, so it's got Danny on the front of a suit with a bloody gun. Um, but it, if if you pick that one up, it's the only one I think of those missold dire films where if you watch the movie, the movie is a lot better than the sleeve, um, and it's still around in HMV, and it's absolutely worth picking up. I'll I'll, I'll check that out. Um, and and finally, then, if if there was any British film that could be rebooted, and you were given the the producer's position on it, what film would you relish re- reprising? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's very easy to say The Longer Friday, but you know, who could ever make that film that good again? It's a bit <laughs> um, I think I'd probably go for something a little bit more obscure. Um, I'm uh, I've, I've always quite wanted to remake. Uh, there's an old Boris Karloff movie called The Sorcerers. Do you know that one? I know the title. I've not seen it. It, it came, I did a recent Best of Horrors, and it came up in people's votes. Yeah, it's a really, really cool movie. But um, it's basically about old people using mind control to live vicariously through young people. So you know they're too old to have sex or to do whatever, and, and they they do it through young people. But they take it too far and start killing people because they enjoy the, the thrill of the violence and the, the killing. Right, and um, and it's a fantastic movie, but it was obviously made for about three quid, and all the scientific equipment is kind of you know loo roll holders with bits of string in it. Um, and I think there's there's a, that would be a fantastic picture to remake. It's something I've, I have looked into it, um, and that that would probably be my pick to have a have another go at. Nice one, nice one. Well, look, well, thank you very much for your time, Jonathan. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and like I say, good luck with um, with with Vendetta. Thank you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.